Hello, and welcome to the MSU Improv Podcast, where we engage, where we are mindful, and we typically tell or share our stories. I'm Eric Chase. We are powered by GEMS. Today is December 23rd, 2023, which is less than 24 hours after the guilty verdict of two Colorado paramedics that had been on trial for the homicide of Elijah McClain. My guest today is Steve Worth, a founding partner of Paige Wolfberg and Worth, LLC, widely respected as the nation's leading EMS law firm, representing public, private, and nonprofit EMS agencies and other uh, ambulance-affiliated organizations. Steve is also a longtime paramedic, and he is still certified as a paramedic, which is why we appreciate your insight both as a lawyer, an EMS lawyer, and a paramedic, Steve. So thank you and welcome to the show. Great. Thank you very much, Eric. It's great to be here. Uh, as you know, this is probably the most significant legal case we've seen in EMS in many years, and it's going to send a lot of reverberations uh, throughout our industry. But uh, on a positive note, uh, despite the tragedy for Mr. McLean's family and for the paramedics here who have been convicted, uh, there's some silver lining to this and a lot of lessons that can be learned. Uh, one of the good things is that this trial was uh, uh, open to the public. It was aired and broadcast on Cal Colorado live stream website, and those recordings are available. So people can actually watch the testimony, see the testimony, and make your own decisions or comments, if you will, about uh, the uh, course of the actions that were taken during the uh, interaction with Mr. McLean that led ultimately, sadly, to his death. But uh, so lots to talk about. We're going to be talking about this for many months to come. Yes. So with that, thank you for honoring and, and mentioning uh, Elijah's name. Um, and, and, and yes, very sad. And yet there, there is an opportunity for us to be better. Um, so I, I do have several questions. And then since the verdict came out, listening to paramedics and other healthcare professionals on all the forms of social media, some trying to litigate the case post uh, uh, post the verdict, um, which will never do any of us any good. Uh, we have to address and answer some of the issues that are here. And with this case's prominence and what it means for the specter of criminal charges potentially accompanying lawsuits over emergency care for paramedics and other healthcare pre-hospital professionals, uh, I guess my first question, and your your legal partner, um, Doug Wolfberg, was on the Florida uh, National Association of uh, EMS Physicians um, the, the day of the verdict coming out, kind of a precursor to that and talking with uh, Eagles and medical directors and other EMS professionals. Um, so that's where I want us to stick, not, not relitigating the case. And because and, like you said, Absolutely. everybody can watch that. Um, right. So being, being a criminal justice major myself, having uh, taught constitutional laws and adjunct faculty, don't even want to get into any of those things, but I do understand what some of these words mean. But for the paramedic, for the EMT, for the person that's in school, when we're looking at what training and education should look like, how engaged should we be focusing on, and, and what kind of opportunities within an organization should we be evaluating to see if they're a good fit for us that also are going to be looking at these cases and, and, and the outcome of this specific case and how they're going to treat training how they're going to implement right. education. So I guess that's my first question. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot packed into that question. But uh, first of all, yes, we don't want to, you know, money morning quarterback the uh, verdict in this case. The jury has spoken. 
I will say this, though, that I think, uh, you know, people have asked me, are we going to see more of these kinds of cases? And I think we will. Uh, you know, some have said, and we have said it as well, uh, we're disappointed that this case sort of criminalizes deviation from protocols, so to speak, because the protocols are a big issue in this case. Uh, but the reality is we're in a different world. There's a big societal change and shift, and there's uh, a focus on greater accountability for everyone in uniform. We have body cameras now we're, and other cameras on phones where we're under great scrutiny. And I think that means that we need to have people in our organizations. And this is the key. People who respect another person's life, someone who will treat the patient as if it is one of their own loved ones. And frankly, when you have that mindset of always putting the patient above everything else and putting the patient at the forefront of everything you do, you're not going to have lawsuits for civil negligence or criminal charges for manslaughter, negligent homicide. The risk is low. Uh, so I want to say that up front because I think there's a concern that this is going to have a chilling effect on people wanting to get into the profession. Hey, this is the most noblest profession of all, as Jim Page used to say. Where can you find a, a job where you can have such an immediate and positive impact on another person's life in a matter of minutes? Okay, You can't. And the value we bring to society, the work that we do is so noble and so beneficial that we want to look at the positives here. The, the good news, as we said, is there's many, many lessons here to be learned, things that we should be avoiding, things we should be doing uh, that were seen in this trial over the course of several weeks. It, it'll, it'll, it'll really, I think, wake everybody up to the importance of training. And I know, Eric, that's your forte. And one of the things you do so eloquently and so well is scenario-based training and simulation training. We need to do more of that. We need to interact with law enforcement before these events occur. We need to have training with them. We need to do mock scenarios or somebody like you, Eric, poses as a, as a difficult patient, a mental health patient, or somebody who's a combative patient. And how do we handle that interaction? You know, And there's a lot to be said also about the handoff, because that was an issue in the trial. You know, The police pointed the finger at EMS and said, Hey, you know, it's the ketamine. We handed the patient over to EMS, okay? Then EMS said, no, the police. <laughs> they did the chokehold and, and, and they kept him on handcuffs and we didn't get a good opportunity to uh, assess him and so forth. So we're gonna see that kind of thing happening, but there is no formal clear-cut handoff because everything we do in healthcare is collaborative. We work together with the other healthcare providers, law enforcement or whoever it might be, the nurses, so hey, there's never going to be a clear-cut handoff. And I think people are looking for a magic formula for a clear-cut handoff. When you are looking at focusing on the patient, the patient, the patient, and that's our priority, uh, that is going to be what's going to carry the day. That's going to what's caused, what's going to allow everyone to focus on the right things and doing what's best uh, for the patient. And that's the key. So uh, lots of things we need to do in training uh, along the lines that you mentioned. Okay, so perfect on that. And, and yes, there, there are so many things, uh, but bringing it full circle back to the patient. And, and yes. it, it's as cliche as it has been. And yet the protocols similar to like the justice system, they should be blind as to the person. Yet we talk about what happened when, when we're looking at uh, 
studies that come out through the uh, National uh, Science and, and Public Health Journal in 2021 that said uh, Black or African-American men are much more likely to die uh, when in custody and or in the care of emergency medical profession when uh, custody or control measures are implemented and medication uh, for restraint had been utilized. So that has already been pointed out. So right. is the failing at the paramedic level, and I'm not, I'm not talking about these two gentlemen, I'm talking about we as an industry, as a profession, is the failing there that we have, we're not growing and evolving across? Well, yeah, let's, let's, there's really two aspects of this. There's the culture of the organization. And, you know, when we refer to an ambulance, which is a sophisticated healthcare delivery vehicle as a bus, I have a problem with that because now we're degrading uh, the very vehicle that we use and bring our life-saving tools with us. In fact, the bus phrase was used in this trial a couple of times. It's the culture. I've talked to paramedics across this country who are frustrated, who are excellent caregivers. I have a good friend of mine. He's He's <laughs> been in EMS for 40 some years as a paramedic, and he's frustrated because his partner doesn't want to take the equipment out of the vehicle. We walk the patient to the ambulance. We don't bother taking the equipment out. What happened to the basic fundamentals? You know, that's what we need to go back to, Eric. We need to go back to the basic fundamentals of what should we doing, the basic fundamentals of assessment, okay? You can't assess a patient. You can't decide to give a patient a medication without doing a physical assessment, period, okay? Yes. And as we saw in this case, there was clear indication that that was not done, uh, you know, so... These are the kinds of issues that we need to focus on, the fundamentals. You know, remember where we came from and what we learned in school, and let's go back to that. And I think it's been difficult because COVID has created so many pressures and, and has taxed our system. And in a lot of systems, training and education and uh, QA functions have gone wayside in some cases. And we really need to focus on that. Uh, especially in these high-risk situations like interactions with people in, with law enforcement and people in custody. We should be doing a, re a review of every single one of those incidents, you know, and see what can we learn from that. Let's have a case review with law enforcement president, talk about the handoff, talk about the condition, you know. When law enforcement uses vague words like, oh, a paramedic, he's non-compliant. What does that mean? He didn't pay his bills last month? Or does that mean he's not complying with my verbal directions or he's fighting me when I'm asking him to stay still? And, you know, so we need to challenge the information that comes to us uh, as we arrive on the scene. And look, you and I learned this a long time ago in paramedic school. You know, don't take things at face value. People motives for the why, why they say things to you, whether they're a patient uh, or whether they're a family member, a law enforcement officer, another healthcare provider. We've got to do our own independent assessments and we need to do more work, I think, on, on just getting back to the basics uh, here. Um, you know, and, and I, you, you alluded to or referenced, you know, the issue with uh, African-Americans and the fact that they studies have shown that bias does play into that. That did not become a big issue in this case, but it certainly is. I mean, everywhere we go, we see this inherent bias problem, and much has been written about it. We've done articles and, and uh, webinars on it as well as have others, and it is a big problem in healthcare. We need to learn from that. We need to learn that we all carry biases because 
you know, we're out there when we're taking care of patients intoxicated in the middle of the street on a sidewalk at 2 a.m. night after night after night after night, and we're getting we're seeing people in their worst moments all the time. Guess what? The next call, our mind is going to unconsciously say, here we go again, another intoxicated person on a sidewalk, when it could be somebody like Elijah McClain minding his own business, walking home and doing nothing to interfere with anyone else's life. And we need to really focus on these things. There's a whole ton of things. We could talk for an hour on, on all of the, or more, on all of the things that uh, we need to work on. And, you know, and with this as well, we need to support our, our EMS practitioners. You know, we know that we don't do a, a good enough job to help them with their own mental health and wellness. Some systems do a good job, others do not. We don't do enough. We know that. We know that the suicide rate is about nine times higher than the average citizen among EMS practitioners. We know the stresses are affecting how we behave. And that means leadership has to pay attention to that. So there's the cultural issues in terms of the culture of the organization needs to encourage uh, good patient care that is patient-centric, that focuses on the needs of the patient. And then we got to make sure we hire individuals and have individuals who are committed to that, who conduct themselves in a manner that's consistent with that positive workplace culture. That's really what it comes down to. I, I love hearing that in, the, in, the, in my heartstrings uh, break for the for the conversations that we've had and, and for those that we've lost to suicide and, and then also the other uh, mental health issues and addictions. With that being said, if we come back to culture and accountability, I want to add that because you mentioned that as well. Um, we're going to be able to reduce or eliminate and mitigate system causes if we're if we improve our culture and we improve yes. accountability. Um, where where that comes in, and I know that the Eagles and the medical directors and like a Dr. Antevi, who your uh, law partner, Doug Wolfberg, was on yesterday with, as we had mentioned, where medical direction needs to be more engaged and, and clinical managing. Um, you know, we we need to see and we need to be held to a higher standard. I was recently on a podcast with Bram Duffy out of Houston, and he does great work in research. And one of the things that he said and reminded me of, you know, he goes, when I was a leader and, and, and I reflected on my own leadership uh, time, I had to be a good rule follower. And, and we've gotten to this point in, in culture that the rules are for them and not for thee or thou. And, and right. you know, we are so autonomous now that where is the accountability gone? Whether it's lack of medical direction and oversight, whether it's lack of clinical education and training, where it's not face-to-face, hands-on, where we've gotten our didactic is now sitting in front of a computer screen where I can have it playing and not really be attending. And there's no engagement right. opportunity for learning. And, and these are the things, whether it was costs and COVID, like you said, um, th these are ca root causes and we're doing a root cause analysis into uh, the death of Elijah McClain and, and these are some of the factors. With that being right, said, right. Um, you know, implications and teaching points. And we talked about protocols now being elevated to a legal standard when these are being evaluated by elected officials that have zero medical degree, no medical education. Um, and, and now they're trying to tell organizations, cities, in this case, the state of Colorado, the city of Aurora, that uh, ketamine can't even be used other than these simple things. 
how are we devolving? And from a legal perspective, from your understanding, medical direction being taken away by the by the uh, elected officials in, in this case. Well, I think first of all, let's talk about medical direction because you you touched upon that. We need to have medical directors who are actively engaged and involved in the development of protocols, who who ride on the on the ambulances to to see how those protocols are implemented, to do the teaching. Uh, they need to be more than a signature or sign off on a protocol written by somebody else. Okay, we need to have more Peter Antevis cloned out there. You know who who are engaged with their departments. Okay, that's a critical thing. When medical directions involved. These protocols are developed in a way that are practical and that have the best interest of the patient in mind, and that we monitor them to see that we're, you know, adhering to them. Now, you know, it's been said too, and now we're raising protocols to a legal standard and you don't follow the protocol, you break the law. Well, that's, you know, some could take it that way. When you look at a case like this, it was more than just deviation or not meeting protocols. It was everything involved, you know, from not bringing equipment to the scene to not performing a hands-on assessment and a bunch of other things that went along with the case that led to these convictions, no doubt, from the standpoint of, of the jury's view. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, we don't like to see these cases in, in the criminal courts. Uh, and the best way to keep them out of the criminal courts is to go back to the basics again review our protocols, make sure we're following them. And if we're not, because we got to use judgment, we can't just say, you got to follow this protocol, A, B, C, D, E. There's going to be exceptions to that. But as long as you have a legitimate and reasonable exception for not following the protocol, and it's well-documented why, you're not going to get into trouble. We haven't seen any situation where paramedics have gotten in trouble for deviating appropriately from protocols when it was necessary, because every situation is different, you know? And uh, I think that's the key to, to recognize that the protocols are one part of these kinds of cases. But we've been saying for years that when it comes to what is the standard of care for the paramedic in performing an assessment or treating a particular patient, a chest pain patient, or a patient who's combative or whatever it might be, the protocols are increasingly becoming the standard of care, okay? Mm -hmm. So that does focus more attention on the importance of those protocols. I've visited systems where paramedics don't even know what the protocols say, okay? And you ask about them. You gotta have a system where people are, you know, well-trained on the protocols after they're very well-developed by your medical director and in, with input from a whole bunch of people. So lots to talk about there for sure. Perfect. Um, so evidence-based medicine, of course, uh, active involvement, active engagement, um, culture, accountability. And one of the things, and just perusing, and I, and I wanna just, I'm, I'm not gonna name who this person is, and I don't know if, if you know, and I don't know who they are. One of the things that they said, Go to school, get a proper education in chemistry, biology, or some actual science in the not just the EMS degree, which contains or continues a cycle of, in their words, piss poor education. Train yourself, read primary research, learn from senior ED residents, ICU fellows and attendings, go to cadaver labs, take real critical care classes, stop going to just those ACLS and recess academies that push questionable science. 
if we right. don't know what we don't know, Steve, and, and you, you have been a paramedic, and I won't say the year, but you were in one of the first programs, in the first program in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, there at the hospital there, um, for those that know, know. Um, yet we aspire to something different. I have taken chemistry, microbiology, physiology, anatomy, um, all these classes separately and a critical care class for the UMBC. And that's not to pat myself on the shoulder. That's because I want to be the best paramedic I right, can be. Right. Yeah. The bottom line is you and I, Eric, and, and our listeners, many of them are, are lifelong learners. And that's the key. You got to have a, a, a consistent curiosity to learn more, you know, mm -hmm. and to do better. And that's really def the definition of being a professional, you know, when it comes to this uh, field, you got to learn and you got to take it in your own initiative to learn. And you do things that are going to help you become a better paramedic down the road. And our organizations have a responsibility there to provide the training. And as you said, the more interactive kind of training is, is really the way to go. Our educational institutions have a responsibility as well. And our leadership in our organizations, you know. Uh, I've seen some organizations when new people come in, they say, forget what you learned at that paramedic school. This is the way we do it here, you know, and and you got to have an open mind to new ideas and and development of of uh, your skill set and your knowledge base as the evidence changes, you know, and, and the treatment of patients uh, have cha has changed a lot. Look at this whole concept of excited delirium. It's out the door. OK, mm -hmm. you know, people are realizing what the heck is that? You know, it's, it's uh, the, the definition is in the eye of the, the one who states it, you know, uh, you could ask 10 people in a room, what's the definition of excited delirium? You'll get 10 different answers. So thankfully that is going out the door because that was used as a panacea, basically yeah. cases to use to sedate people, you know, that were giving uh, law enforcement a difficult time. And we never want to be in that situation where we're going along with the show and, you know, uh, you know, doing what law enforcement says, taking it face value, what they say, we got to assess the patient. And that's the key. Uh, we want to avoid additional cases like Elijah McClain. It is truly getting back to the fundamentals, the foundational things of why we got into this industry in the first place. You know, why did we do that? <laughs> One, to help others in need and put their interests in the forefront of everything we do. And we did it because we wanted to treat people with dignity and respect and compassion, regardless of the situation they're in. Even if they did it to themselves, even if they're a drug addict on the street or, you know, somebody who intoxicated, who, who drank too much that did this to themselves, it doesn't matter. Uh, we don't judge them. Our job is to provide compassionate and competent care. And one of the things I think is a lesson from this case is also the importance to take prompt action and to intervene with law enforcement. You know, I didn't hear anything on these uh, in this testimony in this case where people said to, uh, the paramedics said to the law enforcement, "Hey, he's quiet. Let us get in there and check him out. Hey, we see some you know vomitus here. We need to check his airway. You know, we need to do this. We need let us check him out further. You know." that we didn't see any of that interaction that is very, very important because, you know, yeah, it gets very, <laughs> very difficult in these cases. And we, we've got to do our best to assert ourselves on behalf of the patient because we are the patient advocate, not law enforcement. They've got their role to do, okay? Why mm. they stopped Mr. McLean, who's casually walking down the street? Well, that was because of a 
another biased call pers person who saw him walking and said, oh, there's a sketchy person waving his arms and you better check him out. So what happens then? The biases already play in and then you see the person and maybe it's the color of their skin that affects your judgment. Who knows? But these are the things that you know we've got to pay attention to and we got to make sure that um, we as paramedics are advocating for the patient and doing our best to intervene and step in uh, and uh, assess the patient, get our hands on the patient. You know, as we like to say, you know, paramedicine is a physical contact deal, okay? Mm -hmm. You know, you learn a lot by touching somebody, by getting down uh, at their level of their face and listening to their breathing uh, and uh, palpating their pulses and they're feeling their skin and asking them, hey, are you all right? You know, uh, what's bothering you? What can we help you with? You know, we didn't see any attempts to communicate with Mr. McLean in the in the testimony that we saw in this case. So, you know, that's why this case is such a great learning tool, despite the tragedy. Something good can come of this, we all think, because at the end of the day, you know, we all want to do better. And uh, we are working in the, like I said earlier, Jim Page coined the phrase, EMS is the most noble of all professions. And, uh, you know, that in itself should be reason to stay in this profession and to join this profession. Uh, we're certainly at a big uh, change point in EMS, as we know, many of the things happening around in our society are affecting us in a negative way. Uh, and yes, we are under greater scrutiny today. We are subject to greater accountability to the public. We've got body cameras everywhere. But folks, that's the reality of today's world. Let's move on and deal with it. That's generally, uh, you know, my approach to it and do what we can to make sure that when everybody, anybody's looking at a body camera uh, footage of, of, of me treating a patient, that they're gonna at least see me treating a patient with dignity and respect and doing my best to help them. That's what we want others to see on those videos and we're gonna see more of them, okay? And we can do a whole nother session on the use of body-worn cameras in EMS, but they're out there in law enforcement and uh, you know, of course, some of that video isn't so good. You know, even with in this case, the video is from 2019. You know, technology's gotten better, definitely uh, four years later. Uh, but it's a reality of today's world, and the accountability that goes along with that uh, is also something we have to recognize. Yes. So Steve Worth, ladies and gentlemen, um, he's a paramedic. He's a lawyer, an EMS lawyer. Uh, I want to thank you for your time uh, at the eve of Christmas Eve, for your um, yes. perspective, for your your knowledge, and, and kind of the guidance. And, and th this conversation was just that, a conversation. We want to get some, get some of your points, because we understand the implications are going to be heightened scrutiny, uh, greater accountability. And greater accountability is not a bad thing. You had mentioned culture um, one of the things you mentioned within the last 24 hours too is, is ladies and gentlemen, have an open mind and don't right. re, don't relitigate this case. We have to do moving forward what's best uh, with what we have and, and be better. You said be a patient advocate and we need to get back to dignity, respect, assessing the patients and the fundamentals of what we're doing and why. And I think that encapsulates this the most in, in light of this tragedy 
we, we know that there's going to be another uh, murder trial uh, coming out of Illinois uh, right. in the near future. Um, we, we have to do better. And, and Steve Worth, uh, I want to give you the last word before I do the outro, since we've, you've taken uh, such great care uh, for the listeners and, and, our, and our GEMS listeners and everybody else that's going to listen to this uh, to give us your time. So I just want to give you the last word here, and then I'll do the sure. outro. Thank you, Eric. Um, well, I say to everybody out there in the field, don't despair. Uh, I know this case is a, a wake-up call. It hits you in the gut, but we can learn from it. And always remember, you know, we are the ones out there, 24-7, 365, helping our communities, and we do such good in the community. Let's focus on that and focus on what we can do to avoid this kind of tragedy from happening in our own communities. Now, just so you know, on June, on January 9th, Eric, uh, we're, we're going to be conducting a webinar uh, so you can sign up. We've sent bulletins out from our website, uh, PWW EMS Law, and uh, on January 9th, that's free to anybody who can sign on. Uh, you'll see our bulletins. Just go to any of our social media platforms or pages or, or our website at Page Wolfberg and Worth LLC, and uh, you can sign up for that. So it's always a pleasure working with you, Eric, and thank you for all the great work you're doing in bringing creativity to training and to bringing real to it, because I think uh, that's a very important point in dealing with these difficult situations. You know, uh, it's, it's hard to do training with a mannequin on something like this situation. We need to do more of that engage and interactive training. So thank you for all you're doing uh, for EMS as well. Uh, my heart is happy to hear that, and I thank you, and with grateful appreciation again for your time. Um, this is and has been the EMS Improv Podcast. My name is Eric Chase. Our guest has been Steve Worth. We are powered by the Journal of Emergency Medicine, aka GEM. Thank you all, and to future episodes, we look forward to having you listen. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. <laughs>